0: We would paint the ocean filled and where the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a strive by trade, to write the love of God above would frame the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole the stretch from sky to sky. Incredible thought. Reminds me of Romans 8, where nothing shall separate us from the love of God. It's wonderful song. Thank you so much for singing out tonight. We're going to look at Psalm 147. And I know this is more of a Thanksgiving type of, of theme. And we're not quite to Thanksgiving yet. But so that's quite all right. So we have a lot to thank the Lord for and praise the Lord for. And Psalm 147 is a song, or a song of praise. We know that Psalm 147, or I should say the psalms in general, are songs, what the tunes were uh, to the various psalms, we're not absolutely sure, and uh, there have been many attempts uh, to put the psalms to a to, uh, tune, and as a matter of fact, uh, our hymnal, I'm not enough of a musician uh, to be able to get all these into uh, to, to, to play them on a piano or on some other instrument, but we have in the back of our hymnal, we have all the way up through Psalm 150, all 150 psalms uh, put to uh, music. And uh, again, I don't know enough about music to go to, to play play those. If not, at least uh, since I've been here, if not sung one of those, uh, maybe someday we'll we'll uh, make an attempt to, to sing some of those of you you have in the past. I don't know if any of you have been in a church where psalms uh, were, were sung, um, but we do have... A a knowledge of rich knowledge psalms psalm 23 is one that comes to mind uh, psalm 8 is a favorite for some psalm 139 and then Dan mentioned in the Sunday School Hour psalm 1 there's so many psalms that, that come to mind and psalm 147 is going to be a psalm that focuses on praise and praise is good It's good for us. It's good to do, and it's good for us. And we're going to see, first of all, that when we are praising the Lord, that often comes with a song, as we just sang tonight. And a lot of churches are getting away from congregational singing, and it's become more of a praise team or a worship group or whatever the titles are. Uh, More and more churches are going to just uh, a group of people, an ensemble or a handful of people uh, up on the platform or the stage. And it's become more about a performance uh, than than it is about the congregation singing and worshiping together in unison. But we'll see in Psalm 147 specifically singing praises unto our God. Singing to God, verse one: Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. And we see three reasons or three benefits of praising the Lord and singing praises unto our God. We see them here in verse one: For it is pleasant, it is pleasant. So, in other words, God delights in our praise. God delights in our praise. And even further up in verse number one, for it is good, which means it is right. It is is fitting. It is beneficial for us. And then we see also that in verse number one, praise is comely, an older english word that simply means beautiful. So we see praise and we see singing has benefits. It is right. It is fitting. God delights in our praise. God delights in our singing. And it is beautiful. In other words, in worship, the song should provoke a sense of beauty in all of God. Think about that. When we praise the Lord, we say that, and I I like to use that phrase, and I don't want it to ever sound trite. I don't want it to ever sound like some colloquialism. But I, I want... When I say praise the Lord, I want us to be drawn to the fact that we have God to give our gratitude to. We have God to give our praise to. I I want uh, us to know that it is the Lord's doing, and the glory belongs to the Lord. Because we live in a celebrity culture. We live in a culture that is just obsessed with superheroes and superstars and super athletes and it has crept into the church. And now we have celebrity pastors, and we have all kinds of different groups of individuals crisscrossing the nation and the world. And many times it's about money and top 10 charts and success in a particular uh, genre of music or arts or entertainment, and we've known celebrity Christian musicians who have come out and said, I know one in particular years ago that came out and said, I'm only in the Christian music movement to get high enough to get my name recognized so that I can cross over to pop culture and become popular there. And she succeeded. She succeeded at rising in the Christian music industry to the point that she got her name out there and she became popular and then she crossed over and she became popular in in pop culture and Christians were very upset I remember uh, I did not follow this particular singer I was not interested in in that kind of music and I uh, was not surprised but many Christians were talking about the singer as if she were a traitor and yes in a sense, she was, but she made it clear what she was in the music industry for. She was there for success. She was there for money. She was there for fame. She was there for ticket sales. It and it, it made us wonder is this really about praising the Lord? Is this really about worship? Is this really about drawing our hearts to the Lord and uplifting His high and holy name? Or is it about me and my success and my money, my fame, my fortune? my ticket sales, or whatever the case may be. We have to get back to the focus of our praise being the Lord. And it is good in that it is right, it is the right thing to do, and it's also good for us to praise the Lord, to sing to the Lord. And it brings delight to the Lord when we sing, when we praise Him with, as I often refer to in another psalm, with a pure heart and the holy hands. And and it's not that we are caught up in all the different kinds of gestures. Okay? Now I think it's interesting, okay, I know there are some churches that are hand raising churches. And and there's the, the different hand gestures. There's you know washing the windows and the carrying the baby and all those, okay. And there's hand raising churches, okay? And and, and and I'm I'm not a proponent of that kind of thing. I think it's very distracting. I think it's often very uh, self, it's it's attracting attention to oneself. I understand, I understand some people are very sincere about it, but I thought it was interesting, I had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine, and he said, isn't it interesting that raising the hands is a sign of worship, and if giving offerings is worship, then how come we don't see people raising their hands and waving their hands during Offering it or giving time, it was just—it was just an interesting observation that it, the, the, the external manifestation of worship in hand raising it was only done at certain emotional moments, at certain songs, at certain peaks in the music, and, and that's another topic for another day. But it's just interesting how even something like that can become selfish. It can be about self, getting attention. And people will begin to mistake emotion and hand clapping and gesturing and body movement as worship instead of what is truly called worship. And then we, then we can get into some of the charismatic stuff in the laughter revival. Hear about that one? And if you've ever heard those audio or seen those clips of the laughter revival... Where people are literally rolling around in the aisles and they're laughing, and in some cases it's maniacal kind of laughing, and they claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All kinds of manifestations, outward, external evidences, supposedly of worship, that really miss the whole point. That are often very selfish, self-centered in taking the attention away from who we are truly praising, who we are truly worshiping, and that is the Lord. That is the Lord. So as we go through these, we can go back to these other songs. We won't take the time to do that tonight. But in praising God, the benefits that we gain, what's fitting, what's good, what's beneficial in praising the Lord is what we just talked about. It takes the focus off of ourselves. It also causes our hearts to be filled with gratitude. We don't do enough thanks. We teach our children, and it's important, before they even understand gratitude, they need to learn to say thank you. Those words, please, thank you, manners, manners for kids, little ones, are important tools, external tools, to help a child understand the necessity of manners and appreciation and of loving one's neighbor. As they get older, they begin to realize more of the meaning of those words, and hopefully it becomes a habit. But just being uh, kind and and friendly and using our manners uh, is important for helping us to see others as better than ourselves. That's what Romans 2 talks about. But praise gets us off of ourselves. It gets our attention on the Lord. It should cause us to reflect on our unworthiness. It should cause us, when we come in on Sundays and we worship the Lord or on Wednesday nights it, especially at communion it should cause us to have some introspection some examination of ourselves I really lifting up praise to the Lord with a, a, a right heart and then it humbles us again this goes right along with the, the previous points but there's a aspect to praise that teaches us humility it's not about me this isn't about Myself and what I can get out of it. That's one of the dangers with the the idea of performing. I I avoid the word when there are special numbers, when there's an offertory, when there's uh, some sort of concert, worship concert, if you want to use that word concert. I really try to avoid referring to the people that are up here as performers or that they are performing. I really want us to see it as ministry, as a a way to minister in song, because we we want the attention to be on the Lord, and we want there to be humility. One of the things I I love is being able to have the hymn numbers in our bulletin or on a sheet of paper, so that as the person is playing an instrumental number, we can follow the the words, we can see uh, what the doctrine is, the teaching, as we're listening to the music. It reminds us of God's presence, and thereby and therefore helps keep us from sin. Helps keep us from sin. Praise to the Lord has a way of cleansing, or reminding us of our need for cleansing. Remember how holy the tabernacle in the temple worship was. Now I realize we're in the New Testament era, the Age of Grace, the Church Age, but our God has not changed there still should be a reverence. There still should be a respect. Now, this is getting away a little bit on a rabbit trail, hopefully not too much, but I hope nobody was offended by the announcement in the bulletin today about helping protect our carpet and our views from spills. but uh, just a way to help us protect the, 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 the good thing that God has given us here, and not having uh, coffee spills and your pumpkin latte stain on the, the <laughs> pew or the carpet, but just again helping us to remember not not that we're super formal Reformation hymn coming in and chanting and woo and ah and doing all that kind of Gregorian chant stuff. Not that it's about that, but the importance of our worship not being so casual. That it's as, as if Jesus and God are, are our buddies. As if Jesus and, 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 and God are, are, are just a celebrity superhero superstar that we, we draw attention to. No, worship is a, a an act of holiness, of, of reverence. And so when we praise the Lord, we, we shouldn't have a humility about it, and it should also draw some awareness to how, how unworthy we are, and even in our praise and our singing, we can, if we're following carefully the words, sometimes as we're reading, as we're singing, those words in those hymns are very convicting, and we will sometimes, and I'm guilty of it, being the biggest hypocrite, because I'm singing words. Words. That I don't live out like I should. I sing them, and I'll sing them at the top of my lungs sometimes in the shower, or in the car, or even up here on the, the platform. Hopefully, you can't hear me too much. But I'll sing words, but do I really live them out? Do they really mean something to me besides just a stanza in a song? And then we again see that it honors God, it delights the Lord bring praise, we bring uh, worship in the right spirit in the right hearts and God is a, a spirit we read in John 4 as he spoke to the woman at the well, God's a spirit they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, with the right heart, attitude and in truth worship God the right way according to the truth of God's word and with the right hearts, with the right attitude with the right spirit and again, it makes us aware of our sinfulness and unworthiness. So then we see also, secondly tonight, the singing of God's ways. Going back to Psalm 147, verse 2, the Lord God build up Jerusalem, he gathered together the outcasts of Israel, he healed the broken in heart, and bindeth up their wounds, he telleth the number of the stars, he called them all by their names. Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. We can even go all all the way down to verses 6 and 7. The Lord lifteth up the meek, he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praise upon the heart unto our God. So, in singing of God's ways, we see that God cares for the humble. We just saw there in Psalm 147, he mentions Jerusalem, he mentions Israel, and then in verse 3, he mentions the broken in heart. He bindeth up their wounds. Why the mention of Jerusalem and Israel? Well, think about Israel. Think about the, in a sense, the, the the weak state from which they came from. Abraham, who did not come, is a mighty conquering general, an emperor of a particular nation to go in and to to take over the promised land. What did Abraham, as he really was the start up the nation of Israels God called him out of the earth of the Chaldees Abraham had a very humble beginning he believed in the Lord and believed God and was counted him for righteousness and only had one small plot of land that he even owned and yet God promised him uh, so much more and that promise will be fulfilled in, in the future but we, we see Abraham uh, in Israel we see Jerusalem a city that now is obviously a very well-known, prominent city, but had very humble beginnings. Melchizedek. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek who was king of Salem. That's Jerusalem. Melchizedek was the type of Christ mentioned in Hebrews. So we see Jerusalem, we see the humility, the, the way in which God brought Israel from humble roots and even out of Slavery in Egypt, and on and on and on. We can talk about how God cared for Israel, in the wilderness, and Canaan, the promised land, and throughout the, the kingdoms, even having at times to bring judgment. But we see he heals the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. So we see here, wounds. Wounds is a reference to grief. God helps those whose hearts are troubled. Is there not grief and disappointment? And discouragement in our culture today, all around us. From the bad news on the headlines, to the pressures and the stresses of life, to the death and the suffering, there's so much discouragement, there's so much sadness, and there is a loneliness epidemic in our culture. I've often made reference to the deaths of despair or despairing deaths. There are a lot of desperate people out there. You don't have to go very far. Just go to your local grocery store. Most of us probably shop at Walmart or Payless, places like that. You don't have to go very far to see a lot of lonely, empty people. People that are just groping about in darkness. There's very little purpose to their life. They just seem to be lost. And yet God cares. for the humble. We look around and we see the many needs in our culture and we're reminded in our praise how much we need the Lord and how we are reminded of the grace of God that has been in our life, that has taken us from some place of wickedness and sin or has saved us, spared us, from great wickedness and sin, knowing the faults and the frailties and the tendencies of our hearts and the temptations and all the things that we struggle with, if not for the grace of God, such would be each one of us. And as we sing praises, as we praise the Lord, it's a reminder, and this psalm reminds us that God cares for the humble, and then God provides for the helpless. We see there, also, in verse 8, "...who covered the heavens with clouds, who prepared rain for the earth, and made it grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry." Why mention these? Think about it. The stars, the universe, the millions and millions of stars, all named by our omniscient, omnipotent in God. If God names the stars, does he not care for us? That's an incredible thought, isn't it? He takes care of the beasts. He takes care of the grass. Think about it. I, am, I like what Dan said this morning. I don't believe in climate change either, not in the way that the news media presents it. Think about the, the places around the earth that have droughts and famine. Many of those are directly related to political decisions, governments, Overreach, etc. But how come man? How come man can't invent a machine to produce rain for those harsh areas of the earth? But man thinks he's so great. I mean, the iPhone 14 came out. iPhone iPhone 14 Ultra. We're wonderful people. We can carry around a supercomputer in our pocket. Aren't we just great? We can build skyscrapers. We can block every exit ramp from here to Timbuktu and do all kinds of construction projects and find our way through amazing road systems and fly jets all around the world and even now we can take people and fly them through space but we still depend upon the Lord, rain. Right? We think we're so great, we think we're so wonderful, we can do all these things we have all the, these smarts, we have all this technology and we can get any kind of information at our fingertips just by asking Siri or Bixby or Alexa or whoever, information right there at our fingertips, we think we're so smart because we have all these facts but we still depend upon God Lord. we depend upon Him and in this psalm as we're praising the Lord, we have to be thankful we have to be reminded God takes care of the birds, and he takes care of the beasts, and he brings the rain. Man hasn't been able to produce a machine to replicate rain and bring it to the places of the earth that are suffering from drought and famine. We depend upon the Lord, and the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And then we see God delights in the hopeful, verses 10-11. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in, in those that hold In his mercy. So we see here, once again, man often gets dependent upon what? Man gets dependent upon his abilities, the strength of the horse. Man gets dependent upon his F-16s and his tanks and his nuclear weapons. Man gets dependent upon his bunny and how much money he can accumulate, how much power he can accumulate, and how much he can exercise his power and his authority to conquer other nations or to bring the power to his little group or to himself or herself, as if that one individual or that small group can bring utopia, peace, and prosperity to the whole world. Isn't that the way our government and the governments of the world seem to operate, they depend upon the strength of the horse. And that's not what we're to depend on. We're not to depend upon the strength of the horse. And God doesn't even take pleasure in the legs of man. We're only going to live for so long. We can only do so much. We get to be just a little bit. I know for me, I'll just admit, and my kids remind me how old I am, how bald I am, get reminded of that. But I go and I do a simple walk around the track or around the neighborhood or do simple activities my back is sore and my feet are sore and I'm tired and I need a nap. Um, 25 years ago, I could just keep going. I could maybe take a little nap and just keep on going. I remember in grad school and seminary, working 50 hours a week and taking nine credits of Seminary classes and running on five or six hours of sleep and just kept on going and didn't think of anything of it. And then I just something happened, I hit a wall now, and I, I don't bounce back like I used to. We're reminded. Then we go to the doctor, and the doctor tells us about this ache and this pain and this test and this prognosis and this required change in our diet or our exercise or this medication, and now we're reminded that the legs of man aren't that strong after all. Praise has a way of doing that to us. That's another reason why we come to church and we come together and we worship because we need that reminder regularly that the horse isn't going to be strong enough to win the battle and the legs of man are going to stumble and fall. We're not going to be able to do it on our own. Praise has a way of teaching us to hope in the Lord, to delight in his strength to find our strength in him. Those that fear him, verse 11. Those that hope in his mercy. Not depend on ourselves and all our talents and our abilities. And then that brings us to singing of God's works. Sing of God's works, <clears throat> verses 12 through 14. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed thy children within thee. He maketh peace. In thy borders and filleth thee with the finest of the weeds. So we see of God's works. We see here again Jerusalem, and we see Zion, and we see again how God is using Jerusalem, how He is using Zion as an illustration of who deserve or, 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 or of, of the worthiness of His praise, and how He has taking care of Jerusalem how he is taking care of Israel how he is taking care of Zion through the years it's an example it's a it's a it's an illustration of god's faithfulness you think about it right now should there Historically speaking, reasonably speaking, should Israel be in existence? Think about all of the opposition that they have had. You think about all that Hitler did in World War II. You think about all the countries in, what was it, 1948, when Israel declared its independence, when the United Nations and all that was involved, League of Nations, all that was involved there, and Israel became a country, that in and of itself was a miracle, that they became a sovereign nation in their land, (laughs) That little piece of land that's only a portion, a small part of what they truly deserve, what they truly are, have been given by God. And as soon as they became a nation, they were attacked by, I forget how many Arab nations around them. And they won that war. They won the Six-Day War. and They won the the Yom Kippur War. And then they're surrounded by terrorists. Now, what would it be like if we had... Some of the things that Israel has to face. You think about how the terrorist organizations were building tunnels underneath the, the the border not that many years ago, and trying to come up into Israel and and bomb Israel. Think about Hezbollah and and uh, Hamas, the Golan Heights, and uh, the West Bank, and we can go on and on. There's literally bombs and rockets that are shot into Israel on a regular basis. But as soon as Israel defends itself, they are you know, considered the, the worst nation that ever existed during the news media. But how would we like it if we had a rocket shot into our backyard randomly, regularly? All kinds of ways in which we can see the, the, the miraculous providence and preservation of God's people, places, we see recipients, we see people, people, we sing of the, the goodness of God and the, the various ways in which God has taken care of his own, we think about all the examples in our own life and we think about God's faithfulness, faithfulness to us. I can't help but think of some songs that God has used in, in my life and that I find myself singing even to this day. I remember as our church was going through a very, very difficult time my senior year of high school, the song God Makes No Mistakes. That became the theme song for our youth group. It was a song that, that God used that spoke of the truths of God's word, that God makes no mistakes. I remember my first year of seminary as I was... Uh, making some huge life decisions and trying to decide where the Lord was leading me as far as ministry I I was very unattached very 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 unattached if you know what I mean and a lot of my friends were either already married or were getting married and I was thinking about my future and kind of feeling sorry for myself And, and then the Lord began to work and God was leading me on a short term mission trip and I was trying to to process through that, and got used some, some sermons uh, that really spoke to my heart, and then the song, Be the Lord Find Us Faithful, uh, by Matt Lynch, that song was huge for me, I remember as a kid, growing up, and uh, Bill Young and I were talking about this, not that long ago, one of my favorite songs of all time is, I'd rather have Jesus, and eventually Lord willing, we'll, we'll have new hymn books, that's on, that's, uh, on, on the plans, uh, to, to have new hymn books, and believe the new hymn book has, I'd rather have Jesus, but I remember Cal Cox singing I'd rather have Jesus. Every time he, he, he got up and sang a special number, uh, Cal Cox was the, the gentleman I remember as a kid growing up singing I'd rather have Jesus. Wonderful song. I, I think of the, the song we just sang for our missions conference. We will follow and various songs. One of the things that has been a blessing about bringing is from the the first day that we ever came is the way this church loves to sing the old hymns we'll pull out old rugged cross and how great thou art and great is thy faithfulness and rock of ages and there is a a heavenly tune to hearing our congregation sing those great hymns of the faith and there's such a richness to those texts many times as we're singing we read through those texts and we see um, doctrine and we see theology in these 7-11 songs you know what I'm talking about 7-11 songs I think it's 7 words sung 11 times or is it 11 words sung 7 times 7 words sung 11 times and then there's even 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 in some of the praise choruses now it's more about emotion very generic words And it's about reaching a crescendo and having an emotional pitch so that there can be an emotional moment and climax that's really not about the Lord and not about going deep into the theology and doctrine and our worship coming out of that deepness of our doctrine and our theology. Instead, it comes out of a shallowness and it comes out of emotion and then that emotional high, it's like a drug, it goes away and then It leaves us with an emptiness and nothing. And our theology, our doctrine, needs to be deep. Not that we have to be seminary professors, but all of us need to be theologians in some way, and our hymns help us with that. We sing of God's works in in places, in our lives. We see peace and we see plenty. And we'll just read quickly again. Down to verse fourteen, he made peace and in thy borders and filled thee with the finest of the wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth; his word runneth very swiftly. We see here once again the peace that God brings. When we sing, we, we sing even of of God's peace that He brings—the peace of God, peace with God, and peace with men. But think about the default position, the default state of our world and of our hearts. It's one of sin. It's one of discord. It's one of division. It's one of fights and envy and wars among us. That's the default position of our hearts, the default position of our world that we're in. But God brings true peace. And that's something to sing about, isn't it? And when we're singing as a congregation and we're reflecting upon the the great truths and the doctrines of God's word, we're reminded of the God of peace. And the peace that comes in our lives that passes all understanding. And the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. We see plenty as well there in verse 14. Filleth thee with the finest of the wheat. It was interesting, I heard a statistic not that long ago that if we, if a person makes $10,000 a year, I believe if I remember right, that puts that person in the top five income levels of the entire world. I could be off on that just a little bit, but it was a really extraordinary number. Just making $10,000 a year, there are some teenagers working part-time jobs who make $10,000 a year. That automatically puts us here in America at that level, $10,000 a year, automatically puts us in the the top five or top ten income levels of the entire world. That's a lot to be thankful for. We have a rough economy, we have a lot of inflation, but it teaches us to trust God even more, to depend upon the Lord even more. It maybe teaches us to look out for one another a little bit more, to thinking maybe so much about ourselves and all the commercials that tell us all the things that we need, like the Nerf blaster that I saw advertised as I was watching a TV show the other day. Just got to run out and get that Nerf blaster that can shoot 30 Nerf bullets in 60 seconds, right? And you know how it is as a kid. You know, you see that latest, greatest toy, and then sometimes as adults, what is it? It's that BMW. It's that sports car, it's whatever that item is that's advertised, and we get to, we get we get discontent. And we forget the plenty that we should be praising the Lord for, and we forget what Paul says, that whatever state I am there with to be content. And we get our eyes off the Lord, we get our eyes on things, and we become discontent with our, all of our stuff, and then we become discontented in our relationships, and discontented with our spouses, and discontented with our children, and on and on it goes, and before long we're just living in this constant state of turmoil. That affects our praise, doesn't it? But when we come to church and we praise the Lord, and we're reminded of how God has blessed us and the plenty that we have, it should change our attitude, it should change our outlook. So we see how important singing. Of God's works is. And then finally, we sing of God's words. in verses fifteen through eighteen. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth, his word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool, he scattereth the cross like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels, who can stand before his coal? He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters flow. He showeth his word, going down in verse 19. He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He had not dealt so with any nation as for his judgments. They have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. We don't really have time to get into great detail in uh, these uh, final verses here. But we see that we sing of the word of God. We sing of the power of his word. His commandments have gone forth. We read there in verse 15. We sing of the commandments of the Lord. We praise him for those commandments. One of the things here in America, it was brought up in the, the men's breakfast yesterday. We're losing here in America our sense of law and order. We're seeing the fabrics of our nation being torn, being shredded, to the point that even where good is being called evil and evil is being called good, and we're, we're seeing law and order being set aside. Depending on who is in political power, right? Political power is now deciding the definitions of laws, of institutions, of orderliness. And as those commandments, those laws are taken away, many of which are natural fixed laws that are part of the created order in God's design, and as man refuses to recognize those, it tears our nation apart. it wrecks our families, it wrecks our homes, it wrecks our churches, it wrecks our basic institutions that we have depended on. But when we reflect upon the commandments of the Lord, they are worthy of our praise. We don't like rules. Our, our rebellious spirit bristles. And I'm not saying we should be legalistic and just live by all this. That's not how we should live our Christian lives. We live in a relationship, but there are boundaries. And every house has some measure of rules. If I walked into your house, I would find out within a short amount of time some of the boundaries, some of the rules in your house. Some of you, as soon as someone walks in the door, the shoes come off the feet. Or there are certain places that things go, and that's where they always go back to. There's boundaries that are good for us, and God's commandments are not grievous. We praise him for them. We praise Him for the law and the order in our lives, the designs, the commandments that are good for us, that are His best for us. the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were not given to us to make our lives miserable. The Ten Commandments were given to us for our good. And when we start breaking them, misery comes, and heartache comes, and the consequences come. We we sing of His creation. As uh, was referenced, there are so many aspects of His creation. Uh, again, we've been uh, challenged and been uh, once again reminded of the, the goodness of God's creation, the greatness of God's creation in, in Sunday school lessons recently. And just the, the awesomeness and the amazement of it. it. humbles us. We sing of His creation and then we sing of His control. We sing of His sovereign, providential rule and control. We, we praise the Lord for that, and how God in his providence has worked out and is working out his redemption plan, and we praise him for that. And so this morning, we uh, opened up the, the service uh, with a song that reminded us of the mighty power of God, hymn number 19, we won't close with this, but I do want to uh, read just a, a stanza or two from hymn number 19. Yeah, I am on morning service this morning, but I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that obeyed the sun to rule the day, the moon shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. There's not a plant or flower below but makes thy glories known, and clouds arise and tempests flow by order from thy throne. While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care, and everywhere that man can be, thou art God art present there. We sang that this morning, and that brings us to the close of our message tonight and our service tonight. Those are humbling words. shows how little we are and how great our God is and how much we need to depend upon him and how great our praise should be. I'm thankful sometimes that you all are down there And Emily plays, or the pianist is playing so well up here, and Jake is, or Derek's leading the singing. But I I love to sing, and sometimes I I probably sing out. Hopefully, no one down here hears me too much. I don't have that great of a voice. I sing in big groups, or in my car, or in the shower, or whatever. I love to sing. But our hearts should be filled with praise, and sometimes we just sing out. It just comes out because of the, the richness of. the the doctrine, the theology, the the goodness and the greatness of our God just overwhelms us and we just just sing out. It just comes as a natural response. We have much to sing and to praise the Lord for. May we continue to do that faithfully, both here and throughout our lives each and every day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and again, we thank you for your goodness